good to be here. Enjoyed the conference thus far, just beginning last evening. We had a good attendance and we had a good message, and everyone seemed to enjoy the fellowship. We're looking forward to the continued blessing throughout the week. Shall we bow our heads in prayer and ask God's blessing upon this portion and of this service? Our great God, we bow in thy presence again this morning. We thank thee for the good night, good night's rest. We thank you, our Father, for the fellowship that we can have with thee. We thank you, our Father, for the fellowship that we can have with thy people. We pray thy blessing upon not only this meeting this morning, but the one to follow, and then throughout the day, and then our God throughout the week. May the Lord Jesus be honored in all that is said and done. May yourself be glorified. May we cease from self. May we hide behind the uh, cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and glorify you, our Heavenly Father. Bless now, as we again look into thy blessed word, we pray that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher this morning. May we just realize that we're just instruments in thy hand, and if there is blessing, it will be because of the impartation of that blessing by the Holy Spirit himself. So bless our Father, we'll praise you for it, and the Savior's name with thanksgiving. <clears throat> My subject assigned this morning is the gospel of God. Uh, it is the most general uh, theme, I suppose, and uh, I appreciate the comments our brother made upon the gospel of God last night, and uh, I know that uh, the speaker to follow will certainly epitomize the gospel of God when it comes to the uh, grace of God. Surely that's the epitome. That's the uh, ultimate of God's great gospel. And we might say his gospel because what we have in the word gospel is a collective term. And uh, with embodied within it, we have all the gospels throughout the ages, separate in themselves, but yet collective and accumulative in the great gospel of God. We'd like to turn to Romans 15 and read with you verses 14 through 20. That would be our, that's our text. This is the portion of scripture we'd like to read with you. It is the beginning of the end of the letter. We would uh, expect some profound uh, conclusions, and indeed we do. And so we began with the first. As a matter of fact, there are three separate conclusions of the Roman letter. This is the first one, beginning at verse 14. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, in order that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about Elicum I have 
fully preach the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Well, this is a, indeed a rich section to prospect. And indeed, uh, God has given us some mighty, mighty uh, topics and subjects in the, uh, in the order. Uh, verse 16, we find our subject, or our topic, that I should be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. The definite article is not there, and that's important. It's important due to the fact that the Apostle Paul is not pointing out only his distinctive ministry, but it is with association. So therefore, he drops the definite article and just says that God has, uh, that he should be a minister uh, of Jesus Christ to the nations, ministering the gospel of God in order that, we have a purpose clause, in order that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable a having been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The Gentiles are only ex accepted when they are sanctified, are set apart, are separated by the Holy Spirit from the world. So, separated unto the gospel of God, we're still in the subject. And it is <coughs> involved in the word sanctified. God sets his saints apart. The nations are set apart for God's glory. And uh, we see in this verse then uh, that the gospel of God is used in a, uh, in a broad sense. It is a generic term and it is a collective noun. Uh, in preparation for our thoughts here, I'd like to go to the Revelation chapter 10. Tenth chapter of the book of the Revelation. I'd like to read the first seven verses. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth, and when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven, and the things that are therein, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that uh, there should be a time no longer, or there should be no longer delay. Time has reached its uh, consummation, uh, the consummation. Uh, and then he says, uh, But in the days of the voice of the seventh angels, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants, the prophets. 
chapter 11, verse 15 through 19. The seventh angel sounds. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was uh, there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat upon or set before God on their seats or thrones uh, fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art which uh, and was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and has reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, and they, that they should be judged, that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his covenant. Uh, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. That is the scene when the seventh trumpet is sounded. In order to understand what Paul means by the phrase, the gospel of God, we are projected forward to the threshold of the millennial kingdom. And at this point in time, he begins the consummation of all that the prophets had prophesied concerning the great drama of God for the ages. So as we look back in retrospect, we will be able to observe how that in the primitive way God began to reveal through his prophets this great drama bit by bit, precept upon precept, step by step through the ages. From this point, we look back then in retrospect through the successive ages and behold the progressive revelation of God's secrets as he unfolds them step by step through his prophets. Now, the word mystery is, an interesting, uh, in, an uh, is in an interesting form, as we said before, as the gospel is a collective term, so is the mystery here. And so it is a collective singular wherein is embodied the whole accumulation of God's various mysteries which God has unfolded through the many prophets since the age times began. We have adduced at this point a reference in order that we might parallel the gospel of God which is in itself a collective term and these, we want you to try with us to parallel them as we go through the ages. God, through the various Gospels, if we want to use the plural, uh, each Gospel in its own day, at its own time, for its own particular purpose, God unfolds a mystery. And so, uh, as that reaches its completion, he unfolds another mystery through another Gospel. And so these mysteries and these Gospels are accumulated in one collective singular. And that's what we have in chapter uh, 20, or I mean chapter 10 and verse 7. So these, these words, mystery and, uh, uh, and Gospel, uh, have embodied within in them the various uh, accumulations.
in verse 7, we read that in the days of the voice of the seven angels, when he is about to sound the trumpet, the mystery of God should be completed, as he did announce through the gospel of his bondman, the prophet. Now, that's the literal translation of verse 7. We have the word eulogalian in this word declared. It is the word that's, that is translated gospel throughout the Greek Testament. And it's in this verse. If you look in your uh, Greek interlinear or Greek Testament, you'll find it reads this way, that uh, in verse uh, 6, we have been taught that time will cease with the end of the kingdom and in eternity we have no time because now the, uh, the time has arrived when time will be no longer. Well, he is con concerned about time. He has concern about the uh, consummation of the time or times that have come up to this point. God has been long-suffering. God has been... Uh, overlooking or looking over sin throughout the ages as Paul says in his great Athenian address there was a time when God winked at such ignorance but the time has come now when there will be a delay of time no longer the accumulation has come God has bringing all things to a head in preparation for the great millennial kingdom uh, so it is clearly manifested that the mystery of God which contains the various individual mystery was progressively revealed through his uh, through the preaching of the prophets through the ages and that's exactly what we're taught in verse 7 now as we think of the mystery of God we and as we parallel the gospel of God uh, maybe we should go a step further in this uh, cumulative uh, noun Let's go to Ephesians 3 for a moment. We're still in the preparation. We're still in the introduction. We haven't gotten into the message yet. Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to read a few verses there, beginning with verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles... If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote uh, for in few words, whereby when ye read, or read it, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles or the nations should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partaker of his promise in Christ by the gospel whereof I am made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Now verse 7 of course we are uh, reminded of Paul's great statement in Romans 15 15 and we'll go there in a, in a minute. Here we find the apostle saying in verse 3 how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery you'll notice in your authorized version you have a parenthesis with the last uh, clause and uh, the next 
uh, verse in a parenthesis. But we know those are made as accommodations for us by the grammarians in order that we might understand the English. But let's remove them for a moment. I believe they should be removed. I think the next verse has posed a problem for most of us because of the parenthesis, which is always an explanatory portion, as we all know. Now, let's remove the parentheses for a moment and make uh, verse 4, the last part of verse 3 and verse 4, a part of the statement, and we begin to get the sense. Now, let me say the first part of verse 3, we have the mystery, and he says, as I wrote a four in few words, referring back to chapter 2, where he explains something about that great message that the uh, uh, risen Savior had given to him, and he calls it the mystery, as I wrote in the above, or uh, in the foregoing. Let me say that as the Apostle Paul begins to elaborate upon his peculiar part of God's great eternal purpose, that the first mystery refers to what he has spoken of in the foregoing and refers to that which he uh, reveals through the my gospel and the revelation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. That's the, that's the point. But when we look at the next mystery, he, he says, uh, whereby when you read the above, as I wrote concerning the mystery, ye may understand or ye may uh, have some sense of my understanding, of my knowledge, in the mystery of Christ. Now, we long, far too long have made the mystery of Christ and the mystery in verse 3 synonymous. That is not the case. That is not the case. The mystery of Christ is a collective term that Paul uses as God began to reveal back there in the garden, the seed of the woman. And throughout the ages, he revealed concerning the coming one. Isaiah called him the Holy One of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the mystery of Christ has been revealed bit by bit, progressively through the ages. What Paul is saying here, that my mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, contributes to that great overall mystery of the Christ. Now, then verse 5 makes sense. I have read, as you have, so often elaborations upon the comparative little particle in verse 5 are trying to explain the as. What does it mean? Oh, they explain it away in many ways. It is a comparative. You can't make anything else out of it. You look at your lexicon. You look wherever you want. The word as, uh, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it is now revealed. It means just what it says. He's not referring back to the first mystery, which was hid in the heart of God, but he's referring to the overall mystery of Christ, which was revealed bit by bit, beginning back in the garden and on through the ages. And so he refers back to the last or the second mystery, which Paul has his part. He says that great mystery of Christ through the ages was not made known as it is now revealed, and he begins to unfold his part. And if we see that, 
uh, a Lutheran theologian pointed this out to me, Dr. Linsky, Richard Linsky. He says it is complete folly, and I have great respect, great respect for his grammar, for his ability of the, uh, to, to expose the grammar as it should be. Uh, his theology is not the best. But uh, he is correct that the second mystery is not the same, but rather is that great mystery which embodies every mystery concerning the purpose of Christ, or the person of Christ. Well, with that, let us go back to Romans. Romans <clears throat> chapter 1. Brother Johnson often admonishes us to not meddle, to not meddle when we get into our subjects with somebody else's heart, and I'm glad Brother Sadler's is passed, and so I can meddle a little bit. I appreciated his comments, his exposition, but I think Brother Sadler would be the first to admit that he didn't exhaust it. And if we repeat some of the things that he said now, why, we apologize for that, and uh, we've learned by it. Paul, verse 1, chapter 1 of Romans. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. I think we need to read no further for the purpose that we have this morning. Paul, a called apostle, called by God, and in that sense, he was separated from the world. On the road to Damascus, he was separated from the world of men, called unto God, commissioned that very moment. And, of course, as we find in chapter 26 of Acts, that revelation continued progressively as God the Son would meet with the apostles from time to time for the next 25 years. And during that period of time, the risen Savior progressively revealed to Paul the great message of grace, not all at once, very small at first. And then as he appeared in the abundance of revelations that he speaks of in 2 Corinthians 12, God unfolded, or God the Son unfolded to the apostle. <clears throat> Called, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised for or before by his prophets, in the Holy Scriptures. That verse has perplexed a lot of us. We used to have a lot of trouble with it, no more. <laughs> because Paul, one thing, although he does want us to distinguish his ministry and see the uniqueness and the distinctiveness of the great Pauline revelation, he is as much concerned about conjoining it together in order that we might see the continuity begun back in the primitive ages and that Paul had his heart. So not only was he separated from the lost humanity, but in this sense, Paul was separated unto a section of the great continuous flow of revelation. Paul doesn't he doesn't ever think of himself as being separated from it. His message distinct, but he had his part to play. In other words, there was a gap 
in the prophetic program that Paul is used to supply the answers to the gap, to fill it. Paul separated unto the gospel of God which God had promised, the gospel of God which he had promised concerning his son, Jesus Christ, uh, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, according to his humanity. Surely, Paul needed to instruct the Roman saints and all posterity, all the Christians throughout the ages, that there was a connection between uh, this great message that Paul had and even the church, uh, which is the subject uh, of the Pauline writings. Uh, there is a definite spiritual connection with all of God's programs. God has not taken the church and removed it in such a way that it has no relationship to that which has gone before and that which follows after. We make too much of the distinction. We must see the distinctiveness, but we also must see the, uh, uh, the affinities, the relationship of the church and the nation and the patriarchal uh, people that followed and those that will come after so Paul wants us to see his relationship to God's great revealed purpose of the ages. The, Paul, the point that Paul wants us to see at the outset then is the uh, relationship and the seed of David. Why does he refer to that? Well, this is the great purpose of God that has just immediately preceded Paul's outcalling for the purpose of revealing the truth concerning the body of Christ, that great infamy that follows after the kingdom age, or that is, that which was offered. A break in the kingdom age, suspension of the national covenant, for a time being, leaving a gap, this great purpose of God for David and for Israel is uh, disjointed, it's moved forward, to be resumed at a later time and now we have a parenthesis so to speak in between now Paul says it's my job to fill that void <laughs> that's, that's my purpose that's what God has called me to do God has separated me even from the kingdom saints in order that he might reveal the great eternal heavenly purpose of course the kingdom purpose is an eternal purpose too and I think we make a big mistake when we say the church is the eternal purpose of God Oh, it is, the, it is a, Paul says, according to the eternal purpose. But what did he promise David? Why, make a kingdom of your seed that will be for the ages of the ages. Everlasting. That's our word, eternal. And so we have here Paul relating or hooking up with that which has been suspended. Yes, he was made of the seed of David, and Paul did not want us to think for one minute. And of course, speaking to a pagan people, the Romans, the Greeks, and the people of the first century, they needed to understand uh, that uh, it was the same Jesus, the same Christ of God, another purpose, yes, but not separated completely. I think we often contribute to that separation. We must not do it. We must see the relationship, the continuity. Well, that's what Paul wants us to see here. So Paul then 
at the outset wants us to see it's the same person the prophets herald forth as the seed of David. It's the same person whom Paul preaches according to the revelation of the mystery, chapter 16, verse 25. So Paul and the prophets herald forth the same person, but in an entirely different perspective. The prophets according to the kingdom purpose and Paul according to the revelation of the mystery which had been kept secret since the age times began. We find that he was to be the king of Israel according to, uh, the, uh, according to the flesh or according to uh, the seed of David. He is to be head over all things to the church according to the great message and purpose that God revealed through the apostle Paul. So you see, separate entities, but yet the same, same person. We have the same continuity. In this, we want to see that each one of the many prophets, Paul included, was separated unto the gospel, the particular gospel that God had reserved for him to unfold. The gospel of God, so each one contributed his part to the whole. However, Paul's contribution to the gospel of God was not made known to the other prophets of other ages. God had reserved this in his secret files to be unfolded after man had completely uh, refused and proven through Israel uh, that man is without worth. God is proving through the ages in the successive steps that man is a failure. Apart from God, man is completely, completely without worth. It is when it reached, uh, when that worthlessness and God's revelation through the prophets reaches that epitome, uh, that climax, it is then that he suspends the prophetic program and reaches into his strategic files and brings forth the, what we call the new program, that new thing that he was to do in the earth. And he raises up uh, the apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, on the road to Damascus. If you and I were picking an individual through which we were going to entrust with such a, an endeavor, such a uh, tremendous, profound administration, we probably would have picked someone uh, that would be more uh, compatible to the things of God, and perhaps we would have picked uh, the beloved Apostle John, uh, maybe Peter, uh, maybe someone else. Uh, we certainly wouldn't have picked the worst man on the face of the earth, worse in the sense that he had done more to destroy the church of the living God, that primitive, that Hebrew uh, church back there, he had done more to destroy it than any other man. But yet God, when he, when the time comes for him to demonstrate and to reveal his great mystery purpose and that secret which he had hidden his own heart and to expose his grace in view of the background, the backdrop of all of the failures of man through the ages as the prophets were used to, pro to, to proclaim the good news of God, he chose the worst man. And he became the, the example. He manifested in his person 
his background, the grace of God. God chose his arch enemy in order that he might transfer him and make him the chief of sinners to be the uh, great favorite of all the ages. Number one Christian of all the ages, the Apostle Paul. Saul of Tarsus, what a transformation from Saul of Tarsus to the Apostle Paul. So Paul has his contribution to make, and so therefore we find this, this had been hid from the sons of men till the risen Savior on the road to Damascus revealed to the Apostle Paul the great mystery of grace. Now, let us go to chapter 15 of Romans now to our text. Romans chapter 15. Paul begins to, to wind down as he begins to conclude his great treatise on the doctrine of salvation. Not only amazing, but profound that we find the Roman letter at the beginning of the Pauline epistles. After the book of Acts, the letter was written number, probably number eight. We find now that it is put first in the canon, and rightly so. Paul says, and I myself, verse 14, also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are, are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. What a compliment. Filled with all goodness. No, not goodness in an absolute sense. Good men. Clarence Kramer wrote a tract. Uh, for goodness sake and he shows in that that the redeemed man the saved man is a good man he should be a good man he should exemplify goodness and he uses this first to to uh, show that filled with all goodness all knowledge did they know everything oh not everything not absolute knowledge but knowledge concerning God's great program uh, they were able to admonish one another yes but he says, nevertheless, with all of your assets, with your abilities, there is something that I need to supply. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some part of this letter, of course. There are some things in this letter that are hard to be understood. So, so therefore, Paul feels... Uh, liable, he feels responsible for what he said, and now that he must make some final comments, some final observations concerning that which he had written in the foregoing. And so he says, although you have all this, there is something that you need to know about what I've written. He says, as putting you in mind, calling your attention to not that you knew it before, but I call your attention to it. I've written it before. I want to call your attention to what I've written. Uh, putting you in mind, because of the grace that is given to me of God. You read commentaries on this? Usually, uh, the comment will be that God supplied the grace in Paul's ministry. Paul was just a human being like the rest of us, so subject to infirmities and mistakes and and the failures and all of this. So he needed the grace of God to perform his ministry. And the 
most of the commentaries that I have put that connotation upon it on this last clause because of the grace that is given unto me of God. But Paul is not thinking about God's enabling power here. He's not, although he's, he's not unmindful of it and he, he's conscious of it, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the great message of grace that God has given to him of God. The grace of God here refers not to the grace that he needed to minister, but rather it is the subject of the great message that God had endowed to him to preach. Now, as we go along, that will become clear as we move on down. He says, with a view that I should be a minister of Jesus Christ to the nations, ministering the gospel of God. Same phrase that we have back in 1.1. 1, 1. And he hasn't lost the thought. We do all too often. And he says that, and here we have the, what we call the Hine Clause or the Purpose Clause, and we read it this way, ministering the gospel of God in order that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable. In other words, Paul says, Paul is the priest, and he's offering up the Gentiles as a, uh, as a libation, a sweet savor to God. But he explains that can only be so and acceptable, having been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit works upon a man till the gospel has its effect upon him through the empowerment and enablement of the Holy Spirit. No man is acceptable. If God has not worked upon your heart by his blessed Holy Spirit through the gospel message, you couldn't be saved. It's impossible for a man to be saved uh, apart from the gospel. Beloved, if I preach the gospel and I preach it with the wisdom of men and if I preach it with my own abilities, be they uh, small or great, they will have no effect whatsoever. Much preaching is done in the flesh without result. But when the Holy Spirit is pleased to take the preaching of the simple gospel of Christ, salvation purchased at Calvary, applied by the one divine baptism of the Holy Spirit the moment that penitent sinner comes to uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit sanctifies, sets apart, if you please, that individual for God's glory. His Holy Spirit is pleased to take up residence, and I believe in the indwelling Holy Spirit, personally. And he takes up his indwellment in the believer and motivates him, empowers him, and uh, prepares him for glory. In that experiential sanctification that is to follow subsequent to the setting apart of this individual by the Holy Spirit through what we would call the uh, perhaps the uh, sanctification which has to do with the uh, with uh, the uh, setting apart of that individual. Uh, we call it the standing of the believer. We call it the position of the believer. Now his, uh, his being and he is to be sanctified. But this word sanctification here has to do with God setting apart that individual to salvation, not the experience that he uh, uh, is to receive in that experiential sanctification. All right. 
the offering up of the nations might be acceptable, having been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And that's the only way God will accept anyone uh, in, at any time. Now, in verse 17 he says, I have, now this is what I have. This is what the nevertheless is all about, up in verse 15. I have therefore, whereof I may glory or boast through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. Now he says in verse 18, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me. Oh, what's he talking about? He says there are many things that Christ has wrought through others. For instance, Peter, with committing to him the gospel of the circumcision. Uh, any of the other prophets that Christ hath wrought by them in various periods of time. Now he says, I will not dare to touch on one of those things. Those things are not for me. God used John the Baptist. He used Moses. He used Abraham. He used others. Now he says, Although I may make reference to these things, this is not my portion. I want you to know what God has done through me and that grace that he's given to me. I want you to know about that. Now, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me. No. Not repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. No, no, that's not mine. That was Peter's. So I won't speak any of those things. Then he goes on, and it's interesting here that the punctuation really, really fouls us up sometimes, and I want to stop it where it ought to be. Verse 18, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient. If not a period, you put a, at least a semicolon there, you put a definite stop there, because the byword and deed through mighty signs and wonders belongs to the next statement. Paul, Paul doesn't say uh, in, 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 this, in this verse uh, that uh, Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed and in the period, or the, the, an another, another comma, but rather the definite stop is to make the Gentiles obedient. Now he tells the means whereby they are made obedient through Paul's preaching, by preaching of the word, by deeds, that is, his deportment, that is, his, uh, the way he conducted himself, through mighty signs, wonders, by the power of the Spirit. So out from Jerusalem, out from, it's X there, out from Jerusalem, and around about, or Larkham, are all the way to the Adriatic, way up in Europe, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Have you ever heard sermons preached from this verse that we shouldn't steal sheep? Usually that's the way it's used. Don't you infringe in somebody else's parish now. <laughs> Don't you try to build your local church upon proselytization, as we call it, and that this verse is used for that, and by and large. But that is as foreign as anything could be. Paul doesn't have that in mind whatsoever, no way. Not that he's going to infringe upon 
somebody else's territory in the sense they're stealing sheep, as the common uh, expression goes. But Paul says, I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was maimed, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. What foundation? Why, that circumcision foundation. So out from Jerusalem, what did the Lord say there in uh, the temple as we have it in 22.16? Depart from me. Or, I mean, depart for, I'll send thee for him, sons of the Gentiles. They will not hear you here. And so the Lord wanted to send Paul out because the Jewish element, those that had heard the gospel of Peter, they had refused, rejected the Christ. No, they're not to be favored with this great gospel of the grace of God. When Paul went back the second time, I mean the last time that he made his, uh, recorded the last time that he made his trip to Jerusalem, and we debated whether he's in the will of God or out of the will of God. I don't believe that God wanted to use Paul. It was Paul's great heart, and God permitted it. The last trip to Jerusalem uh, was to witness to his people, but he had told him to get out. Don't. They will not hear you. They didn't hear Peter. They didn't hear the twelve. They didn't hear our Lord. Paul, uh, they won't hear you either. But, oh, he would go back because of the longing, and God honored that, and uh, he concurred with it. There's no question about it, but he didn't bless it. <laughs> And as a result, Paul was incarcerated and went as a prisoner to Rome when otherwise God, it, it could have been otherwise. Well, out from Jerusalem. So he says, let's not build upon another, uh, on another's foundation. It's in the masculine, another man, yes. Another apostle, another message. Don't confuse the message, Paul. Don't go back there and confuse it. They have already rejected. And, of course, to the Gentiles now. Well, in closing, I got couple minutes here. We got started a couple of minutes late, so I, I want to go to the 16th chapter now, if you will, in, in concluding. And I, I want to do this quickly because we want, to, we want time. I want you to hold chapter 1, get chapter 1, if you will, and chapter 16. We're going to put the introduction and the conclusion together, and then we'll be able to see better what's in between. Paul, in verse 11, in his introduction, of chapter 1 says for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that ye may be established in other words I've written to you in some sort mentioning some of the things that you didn't know and when I come in person I'll be more uh, uh, in other words uh, he, he says I will uh, teach you these things personally I wrote uh, I mentioned them in the uh, letter, but I'll enlarge upon them. Well, in chapter 16 and verse 25, the conclusion, the great doxology, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. He hasn't forgot verse, uh, verse uh, 11. He, now he picks it up again. So he says, now unto him that is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to Revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations, for you will be means of faith. Now, I'm not going to give an exposition of this conclusion right here, but I do want to make reference to it. I want to, you to see the significance of its import. What is the verse? Now to him that is able or is of power. Uh, we have a verb 
and then follows the infinitive to establish. We have a what we call a finite verb. Then the infinitive becomes the major uh, verbal, and it is to establish you. That's the point. That's the purpose. Uh, now to him that will do this. Uh, and it's going to be according to my gospel. That needs some clarification to the Roman. Even the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the age times began, but is now manifest. Put a semicolon there, too. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for obedience to faith. Uh, this last has been, I believe, misunderstood by most of us. No, I can't believe that he's referring to Paul's prophetic writings by no means. The little and will not allow for it. But rather, Paul now, in his conclusion, he wants us to see, and I've heard it said over and over, and you have too, that if we only had the Pauline epistle, we don't need anything else to be established. That is not the case. He does not say that here. But throughout this Roman letter, and in the Roman letter, Paul writes, it is written, it is said, and over and over and over again, he quotes the prophets. Beloved, apart from the prophets, you could not be established in God's great eternal purpose. But Paul says, the revelation of the mystery and the prophets, and he prayed that God would use the whole Bible, the prophets, those who had prophesied and who had preached the different gospels, when we began to put it all together and get it into collective passage, or package, that a cumulative sense, understanding the distinction of Paul's, Paul's message in view of what the prophets wrote, we are established by the Spirit of God as he teaches us. That's the message. That's the thrust at the beginning of the letter. That's the conclusion. May God bless.